Welcome into this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. The guy who's going to join me is following in the footsteps uh, of some of the most important figures, I believe, in the history of golf. People like Ross and Tillinghast and McKenzie and McDonald and Rayner. And he's a young guy. And how did this all happen? And why is it that right now, as we sit here in the game of golf, there is more than just a mild curiosity in the design of modern golf courses? There's a borderline obsession. Well, he benefits from that. But the work that he and his partner are doing is special. It's different. It's provocative. The guy I'm talking about is Rob Collins from King Collins Design. His thoughts on how he got into all this, what's happening now, and what's next for him in this business, all coming up. With that, we welcome in Rob Collins. Rob, my friend, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Listen, thanks for taking the time. Look, I, I, it's, it's, always, it's always fun for me to read somebody's story. Everybody's got one. Uh, and b- because you and I can geek out about a lot of aspects of golf, you know, I, there's a curiosity associated with where did it all start? And I know for you when it comes to the design part, you were turned on with the trip in 94 to St. Andrews, but I want to go back before then because there had to be like a first blush, a first impression. Do you remember your first impression of golf, whether it was a shot on television or walking a golf, anything? Do you remember what it was? The first time I ever played golf, I was in fifth grade. I'd played other sports growing up and I just played once or twice a year with my dad in, um, I think I I did a golf camp when I was in fifth or sixth grade uh, up on Signal Mountain. uh, And there was there was a a head pro there named Ike who uh, had a lot of personality and character. And and I just remember hitting a few shots. And this friend of mine, Matt Rapp and either the fourth hole there, you if you could carry it over the ravine, that was kind of a big deal. And uh, I remember the first time I ever hit it over that ravine and. Matt was a, a really good athlete. And of course, he was pretty, you know, easy for him. And, and I remember doing that. And that, that was exciting. So um, the, the, the 94 trip to St. Andrews, there are there are a lot of people who, who make the choice that you made to design golf courses, whether it be presently or formally, that were that were impacted profoundly by a wander in the wilderness in the UK or going to St. Andrews specifically. Um, there's some, there's some great historical figures, Hugh Wilson, uh, prior to the Marion design. But for you, what, what was it? Was it, was it? was it one day? Was it the whole thing? What was it that you were so taken by that experience? I think it was the, the whole thing. We actually got to watch the first three rounds of the 94 Open as well when I was over there. Uh, but playing the, the old and new course at St. Andrews, it just opened up my mind to a, a whole different type of golf. I'd, I'd never... I'd seen, you know, shots at the open, but to actually witness the ball rolling like that on the ground and it just kind of, it just changed the way I looked at the game. I just couldn't believe how different it was and how exciting it it could be. And and, and I just got this really weird idea that I wanted to be a golf course architect, but I didn't know how to do. 
<laughs> was there so so I mean, that's before the internet i mean i didn't know i didn't get on the internet until 95 or 90 it was 95 so you know there were i, I knew there was a guy named tom fazio and i knew jack nicholas designed <laughs> golf courses but i did like how do you even do that I, I didn't know so so after that and it is truly i remember i, I i'll never forget the first conversation i had about the internet uh which was in 1995 um so so you get back did you then just start to, to learn about particular people who had designed golf courses? How did you allow your interest in it to blossom? What did you do? Uh, my dad was, uh, was, and my mom too, were great at, you know, fostering interest. And, uh, you know, they, they, they supported this weird little interest I had and, um, I started playing more and more golf at that time too. And, and my dad and I started playing a lot more and, and that, that really seeing more places, you know, just, just kind of helped it snowball a little bit and, you know, reading books here and there. And, uh, and then I just, uh, kind of jumped off a cliff with it in 2002 when I went to Mississippi state, I graduated from college in 97. So I had kind of a five-year gap where I was basically five years of getting up the courage to do what I really wanted to do in life. So, um, you know, as an art history major, which is what you were for your undergraduate degree at Suwannee, you know, to me, I would think my, my sister was an art history major. You, you already have an interest in the visualization of certain things. So there was something inside of you um, that lent itself to looking at things and, and wanting to understand them a little bit better. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Um, my great grandfather was actually an, an artist and um, fairly well known in, in his time. He, he uh, lived and worked in the late 1800s and early 1900s. His name's Robert Grafton. Um, my name is Robert Grafton Collins. I'm named after him. And so um, I was exposed to art as, as a kid. And um, I think I had just this interest in that. And and how things were expressed and in visualization of, of of art. I was actually never, I was a terrible two-dimensional artist. I mean, my grandmother, uh, Robert Grafton's daughter, uh, she was a, a great two-dimensional artist. She could paint and, and she had all the skills. I, I, I felt like, you know, growing up, I didn't have an artistic skill. Um, I felt like that gene kind of skipped me. And then, um, you know, as I got into uh graduate school and i started to realize you know this interest i had in art i actually could visualize things but in, in a different way in a, in a in a in the golf sense and in 3d and golf and golf to me is a form of landscape art it's a it's a landscape sculpture basically and so um i, I realized i did have a, a skill for that and uh while a little bit different form of art it's it is an art form i believe you know it, it you know, you're, you're younger than I am. And I was just, you know, look, Rob, I was lucky. I, and I, I grew up at Ridgewood Country Club in, New, in Paramus, New Jersey, you know, great Tillinghast design. And I don't know why, because as kids, we're, we're inclined to be really aloof uh, about stuff. But for whatever reason, like I knew it was different. I knew, even though I didn't have a lot of context, I knew where I was learning to play golf was different. And yet the design associated with the 60s, 70s, 80s, I'm not saying there wasn't good work, um, but there was a lot that wasn't that inspiring. Was there any place besides St. Andrews domestically in this country 
that turned you on? Pinehurst number two really opened my eyes a lot. I, I took a trip there with my dad and my brother uh, for his 75th birthday. And this was actually prior to the, the Cor Crenshaw renovation, which I think is the greatest renovation in the history of golf. But um, that just being able to play some of those shots and, and seeing kind of having a refresher course and a reminder of how uh, – the most fascinating contour or fascinating hazard to me is a combination of uh, contour and short grass and and how shots are revealed along the ground with those two put together thoughtfully um, just really made a big impression on me. So Pinehurst number two has always been uh, one of my favorite places and um, that that made a big impact on the way I, I think about things. You know, Rob, I was I, I grew up going to golf camp there, and you know, in the eighties, number two had been reduced to being like a Bermuda grass sod farm, um, and I actually played with Ben the day it reopened. It was the day after the oh, 20, wow. yeah, the day after <laughs> the twenty eleven Masters, and look, you talk about a confluence of emotions. My dad was terminally ill. And, and Crenshaw was the only guy I ever loved. Like, I, he was the only guy I lived and died with. And, and having grown up going to golf camp there, my dad and I used to play number two on Christmas Eve. And here I am on the first tee with him looking at it, and it was the balls they had to do what they did. Is, yeah. it, was, it was beyond overwhelming for me to experience that place looking like that on that day. With my dad, you know, he was able to make it through six holes because he just had his kidney removed. Um, that place is the boldest thing that I've seen in my lifetime in terms of what it was and the fact that it was still profitable to do what they did. And they're not like ballsy guys. They're like cerebral guys, both of them, Bill and Ben. Um, I totally agree with you. It's it's extraordinary. What what? Vision. I mean, I've never been more excited uh, for a for a golf tournament than I was for the. I believe it was the 14th yeah. Open uh, to get to watch that. Um, incredible vision. I I actually had the opportunity to to work very briefly with Cor Crenshaw on a project in in Yokohama, Japan in 2015. Um, I just kind of a fill in bunker guy for a few months and had had a great time working on that project and. Uh, the guy who was leading the project from the Core Crenshaw side, a guy named Toby Cobb, was um, on, on that project with Core Crenshaw at Pinehurst. And so I loved hearing his stories. And one of my favorite stories that he told me was they found an old aerial that I believe was shot on Christmas Day, you know, in the 1930s or 40s. And it was a, a military flight. And I just imagine this poor pilot who got sent up on Christmas day, he probably had done something bad and they, they were punishing him or something. And, you know, he was away from his family, just, you know, taking surveillance photos for practice. And they use that as a, a big example of how to put the golf course back together. And I thought, what a contribution he <laughs> unbeknownst <laughs> to him that he made to the world of golf and golf course architecture that these, you know, masters of, of their craft, Bill and Ben could, uh, take that photo and, and really use that as, as a lot of inspiration for, you know, where the center lines were, you know, how, how everything worked. And um, I think that's a, that's a funny story, but I love hearing Toby's stories about that. I think it's just a, it's a fascinating and uh, what a, 
boy, they were proven right. I mean, what a great, what a great renovation. Uh, no, no doubt. You know, with respect to you, so you get your, you get your graduate degree, and I, I do want to touch on one thing about about that that time at Mississippi State. Your your graduate thesis won an, won some awards, at least one, maybe multiples, and mm-hmm. it was about the environmental impact of course design. What well, just summarize what the thesis, what were you were trying to 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 conclude or at least present? Well, I came out of graduate school at a time in two thousand five when uh, golf courses were. You know, it was a, a boom time. Um, there was 300 courses a year opening domestically. A lot of them didn't have a ton of thought put into them, really. I mean, they were a lot of them were there for a real estate amenity. And you know, actually, in uh, early 2000s, I, I had sort of a while I was in graduate school studying golf course architecture and, and landscape architecture. I kind of had a career crisis. I wondered if this was really something I wanted to do because. I wanted to build golf for the sake of golf. And and I just didn't know if I was going to get out and, and have those kind of opportunities that I wanted because I didn't really want to just build these, you know, kind of thoughtless golf courses for these housing developments. And so that was me trying to add some meaning to to golf. I had to have an interest in, in the environmental side of golf and in the environment, environmental protection and so anyway, I, I had a, I basically looked at uh, golf wading bird foraging habitat on golf courses in Florida, and um, and and it, it did win a win an award from the American Society of Landscape Architects, and I found some interesting things. You know, I found that some some courses uh, that are are certified by Audubon International, which actually is not affiliated with the Audubon Society. That's a that's a misconception. You know, some of them do a good job. Some of them. Some of them don't do a great job. And I think that in golf, we have an opportunity to, given that it's a big open green space, to to incorporate habitat. And, um, you know, that's something we've, we've done on, on some of our work at, at Sweetens Cove, for instance. The first great egret I've ever seen in Tennessee was at Sweetens Cove, which I thought was pretty cool. So, um, you know, you can do a lot of things in the built golf environment to improve habitat and in the environment in in post-construction from where it was pre-construction if you're thoughtful about it so that's been kind of fun to you know take some of the things i learned from that that thesis and and put them in practice you know that little story you just shared about the egret i I saw i don't know if you saw this yesterday brad faxon put out a little video he's playing the seminole (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and, bald eagle on on the third hole just yeah, just sitting yeah, there they had had some yeah. showers and so there was a little little pool of water a little puddle and he yeah. was just he was just sitting there stoic and then and yeah. then took off on a low flight that gave yeah. me goosebumps yeah i know that's really cool i mean it, you know ultimately golf is a, a open green space and, and it can be used to attract wildlife i thought that was a cool video too that's funny we both saw that <laughs> so so here you are you get an entry-level job with gary player design um and and the story that I read was that, you know, you're working on a project called Wildstone. Mm-hmm. You're, you're grassing, you're grassing. I think the third hole, and <laughs> and and the housing crisis. I mean, we're getting ready to have full implosion with respect to the markets globally and specifically in this country. Bear Stearns collapses, and your job just pff, it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. So yeah, what did you gone. think? What 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 are you thinking at that point? I was. <sighs> just 
I couldn't, you know, just couldn't believe it. I mean, I was, you know, we, I was really enjoying working for Gary player, uh, working under a guy named Jeff Lawrence. I, I learned a lot from him and, um, really loved that project. And it was just so sad to see it, the brakes put on it. Cause you put so much effort and time into something and it was unknown what would happen. And eventually Wildstone did get open and it's, it's doing well now. So thankfully that it did turn around, but at that moment in time, that was a pretty scary moment. And I, uh, Denise, my wife and I had a, a young child, uh, at the time who's now 17 years old. Um, but we, we, you know, we ended up coming back to Chattanooga and, um, I had to move into my mom's house for a little bit, which is a tough thing for a, you know, 33 year old, um, with a young family, to, but we didn't have anywhere to go because we were living a nomadic life at that point in time. Um, I was a, a site guy for Gary player. In fact, our daughter may, uh, she was born in Naples, Florida. We, I worked on a project down in there, but uh, she was either going to be born in uh, South Africa, Madagascar, literally, or or Naples. Those were the three places that, that she was going to be born. I was working under a guy named Frank Hennigan at that time, and th th they had projects going all over the place. And um, and I, I didn't know if I was going to be in Madagascar or South, South Africa or Naples. And then the Naples job kind of sped up. And so anyway, that's a long way of saying, you know, we were going from project to project. So we didn't have a, a home base. And and so that was that was tough. That was tough. Uh, your daughter, uh, is she disappointed that in terms of the, 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 the geographic roulette wheel that she doesn't have Madagascar? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, we laugh. You know, she was born... Uh, next to a uh a state farm insurance agency on on Immokalee <laughs> Boulevard in a, in a in a in a birthing center so you know there was a state farm over here and a in a Jason's Deli on the other side I mean she could have been born in in, in Madagascar <laughs> she has a love of travel I wonder if it's this you know thing in the back of her brain where she's she's going you know I, I could have you know <laughs> trying to live up to the possibilities of what could have been no question so here you are you're 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 back home living with your mom and there's a shuttered project and and i'm just you you kind of tie in the loose ends if if i've got anything wrong here what eventually became sweeten's cove was was a, a kind of a defunct golf course that that was was owned by like a construction company and 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 you're thinking to yourself, for whatever reason, there's something here. Yeah, so uh, a concrete manufacturing company, actually one of the most successful concrete manufacturing companies in the country was in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, of all places. And uh, Sequatchie Concrete, the Thomas family, owned uh, the old Sequatchie Valley Golf and Country Club. It had been a very vibrant club in the community at one time and had gone downhill and then Bob Thomas bought it back and they wanted to put it back together. And I got contacted about it and went out there and looked at it. And uh, there was a time when I, when I looked at it the first time and went and talked to the guy who looked, worked in the little maintenance shed and there's, you know, yellow jackets flying around and I'm looking at this dead flat thing. And I just thought to myself, my God, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is where you know this is this is the opportunity i mean it, it was pretty daunting you know 
Um, but then the more I looked at it and I went out there with King Emig, who was a, a local golfing legend in, in Chattanooga, one of the founders of the Seth Rayner Society. He loved quirky architecture and he and I would ride around out there looking at it, you know, thinking about ideas. And the more I thought about it, the more excited I got. And we ended up getting the project and uh, the, the rest is history. It, it is. So. And the history is, look, it's it's brief in the grand scheme of things. But it's significant and it is um, it's inspiring what, what you guys have done. And there's, it's not just the golf course. And I, I have yet to to go there. Um, and I want to get to to the nitty gritty of what you guys have created there. But I got to stop and ask you about, you know, the intersection of, of, of Tad King coming into your life. Um, you know, I think about like great partnerships and specifically in, in the design business. And there have been, you know, some great ones. And there's some great ones right now. We've already talked about Bill and Ben and obviously Gil uh, and, and Jim and, and the mm-hmm. work that they're doing. How did you know that there was there was something there beyond maybe you guys liking each other, that there was a, a, a collection of, of competencies that lent itself to, to doing stuff together? Well, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I met Tad. He jumped off a bulldozer. He was working for Ryan Golf down on that project in Florida. I was a design coordinator for for Gary Player, and um, just a real friendly guy. We had a lot in common. He was from from Marietta. I was from Chattanooga, and he had a young daughter. We, you know, went out to dinner a few times with with he and his wife, and um, and we realized, you know, that there were some inefficiencies in the contractor architect model. And um, Tad and I talked a lot about that. And um, for instance, I was not allowed to talk to him on site. The, the contractor would not allow me to talk to the the shaper who was building the golf course that he wanted to go through him. I mean, it was silly stuff. And, and you know, the guy, <laughs> so Tad and I said, Let, let's one day, you know, Let's see what happens. We'll we'll start this company called King Collins. It kind of rolled off the tongue. We thought that was a kind of a cool name, and uh, you know we'll ne- ne- see what happens. And then and then you know in hindsight, thankfully, uh, the recession did happen because you know if I had stayed in a in a comfortable job with a design firm and Tad had been busy building golf courses all over the place, you know we wouldn't have we would have been in a in a comfortable place and wouldn't have probably wouldn't have had the courage to to break out on your own. I mean, that's kind of a scary thing. We were forced into it. And so um Tad was working in Egypt at the time and I called him. I said, man, let's let's do it. Let's let's start King Collins. So we started it. We we had a fish on the line with the Sequatchie Valley thing that turned into Sweden's Cove. And you know, you, you talked about a a set of competencies and and you know everybody in the world has strengths and weaknesses and and um you know Tad and i are just great partners i mean we're great friends but the places where he's super strong you know i may be a little bit weaker in the places where i'm really strong it's just it it's a big ball of wax that that fits together really well And, and um and we think alike and um you know we to this point in time i mean we can almost just complete our own sentences and thoughts i mean we know each other well enough and um and it's just it's a good partnership and, and it just works the sweeten's cove as i said it's, it's not a golf course it's a culture um and i what what did you did you have a mission was there something 
the two of you wrote down? Was there something that you said, it's going to be, it's going to be more than just, you know, people coming out and playing golf. And let me ask you, let me, I hate asking like nine questions in one, but this one hangs out for me. It hangs out there. Did, did the fact that you, you leveraged everything yourself, I mean, literally you put it all yeah. in the middle of the table. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the greatest thing that ever happened to you that you were put in a position where, look, your life wasn't going to end, but, but who knows? Maybe you're thinking you may have to pivot and do something different. Is, is experiencing that at the outset the greatest thing that's happened to you? I think so, yeah. Um, so for people who don't don't know what happened, Tad and I got hired to build this golf course. We were very straightforward with Reese, our client. We said, Reese, our goal is to build the best nine-hole golf course in the United States. Other, you know, we want to shoot the moon on this thing. We think we can do it. Um, if you want to go in a different direction and just want to mess around with the greens or bunkers, you know, we encourage you to hire someone else. But but for us, this is this is going to be our goal, and that's what we're going to try to do. And so we basically finished the golf course and the family through a, you know, a set of circumstances that decided that they no longer wanted to operate and, and manage this golf course, which was not open yet, but it was very, very, very close to being able to be open. And they approached me and said, would you like to operate and manage the golf course? And I ended up taking it over and um, it was a hell of a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, for instance, we, uh, went broke on, on opening day. I mean, I, I had to let the superintendent go and, um, and Tad and I maintained the golf course by ourselves for a period of time. And then Tad went off to a, another project and I, I continued maintaining the golf course through the winter of 14 and 15 by myself. And then, uh, we, we got some capital and, uh, were able to hire another superintendent, Brent Robertson, and he came on and. My friend Patrick Boyd, uh, the, the general manager, he and I kind of started to create this culture. And we just, he, Patrick and I were so enamored by this golf course, we thought that people were just going to show up and, and they didn't. And um, it, it was a long couple of years. Scary. I mean, I, I was texting with Patrick the other day. I mean, I think I still have some mild form of, of PTSD from it. And, some of the, the sleepless nights worrying about it and wondering if it was really going to make it. And, um, but going through that and, and making it through to your point, it was, is the greatest gift I, I could ever have. I mean, I think about how hard it is to, to get a start in, in golf course architecture. And I'm like, well, you know, really all you got to do is, First off, you got to be half crazy to want to be a golf course architect. That's your first step. And then after that, you know, maybe design and build a nine hole golf course and then leverage every single thing you own to keep it open. And then, you know, and then, and then have it become, you know, successful. And, and then for, for us, Sweden's Cove is this perpetual publicity machine. And, um, that's where it's it's the tree of life for King Collins. I mean, it's where everything comes from. And so without Sweden's Cove, we would not be having this conversation. You wouldn't know me. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't want to, you know, we just wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't have the opportunities that we have. And um, it, it's an amazing place. It's it's magical that what it's done for my life and Tad's life. And uh, I mean, I just couldn't, I'm just grateful for it every every day. 
you um you know I was there a yeah, I don't I don't know what it was it couldn't be just one day but you get certain seals of approval you get people who you know are are the design honks in the industry that that people respect and they experience it and they're like wow this is this is special um, and I'm talking about whether it's it's Andy with the fried egg um, and and you know that that's a big deal and I'm sure that that felt good but I, I want to ask you about about the you know the ownership group because Look, guys like Peyton Manning and Andy Roddick can associate themselves with virtually anything they want. The doors are open for any industry, any marketplace. Why? Have they ever explained to you, like, what, what was it? Was it a soulful thing? Uh, it, it's not an immediate bottom line thing for them. What was it? I think it was a, more on the soulful side. Um, Sweden's is just a special place. It's got an energy and, and a vibe to it. And... Um, you know, Peyton and Andy are both very authentic, real people. And, uh, you know, I think that I'm speaking for them a little bit, you know, maybe out of turn here, but I think when you're that famous, you probably get confronted with a lot of BS <laughs> and, and a lot of things that are inauthentic. And so when you find something that it is authentic, um, I think that's probably pretty attractive to them. And, um, you know, it just it, that that was that that was a wild thing. I mean, we we looked hard, high and low for for investors and and, and people, and then to, to get that group of people, I, I still shake my head at it. I just it it we're we're four years into it with those with them, and and it's just been an amazing partnership and great honor to have have them on board. Who is um the driving force on all this stuff? Like, I I'm totally into the fact that you guys have. You know, the way that you are very, very particular and, and sensitive and detailed about logo um, and the way that you're advancing the different ways that, that Sweetens is presented, uh, not only for people to go there and buy a hat, uh, but, but, you know, the, the whiskey as well. Like all this stuff that, that this is a, like this is created, like this, this entire way for you guys to tangentially look in all these different areas. Who's doing that? Is that a collective thing? It's a it's a collective thing. Uh, our partner Mark Rivers, uh, who kind of brought the group together initially, uh, runs the whiskey side of things, and um, and then and then Mark's involved on on the golf side as well. Um, but uh, you know we we rely a lot on on a on a team of people on the golf side too. I mean I, I'm I'm heavily involved with it along with Matt Adamski, our general manager. Uh, there's Sarah Bailey who runs our our merchandise side. And, and so there's a team of people who, uh, you know, work hard to, to constantly, you know, put out something new. And we, we just every year we try to make the experience uh, better and better. And I really have to give a huge tip of the cap to Matt Adamski and Colt and the guys in the, in the shed who, who just work so hard. I mean, working for Sweetens and running the golf course day to day is a, a very unique job in golf. And, and you need someone who lives and breathes it and just loves the place and and matt matt fills that role in, in a, an amazing way and uh and and we're very very fortunate to, to have him and he's kind of become a, a big part of the the golf side of the brand and um and and he's so creative and and, and you know welcoming people and, and creating different avenues to for how sweetens can be expressed visually with logos and, and things like that and 
Um, that, that's just, it's been a lot of fun to to see all that that come together. And, and one thing about Sweden's is that it's also very organic and natural. Nothing is, is, is forced in any way. And that's, I think that's why it's been, been successful. For example, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now that has a, a road sign with the, with the little fake letters, uh, the little plastic letters on it. That was my original partner in the business, Ari Techner, who owned uh, Scratch Golf Clubs, he and his five-year-old son, the day of the opening, the day we went broke, he and his son went to Lowe's and put over the old Sequatchie Valley Golf and Country Club sign on the road, <laughs> the Sweetens Cove letters from Lowe's. And for those letters sat there on that sign for, for three years. And wow. then the golfers, the golfers journal came out and they took a picture of it. And then all of a sudden it became a, a thing. And, and then we put it on a logo. And so it wasn't like we were forcing things down right. people's throat. We were just kind of reacting to this culture that was swirling around the golf course. And, and now this is a real popular shirt we sell. And so um, I guess what I'm getting at is, we we didn't have enough money to be inauthentic. It was everything. We didn't have any money, so it was it was just us doing things that we liked and thought were funny and interesting, and and, and that kind of thing has carried forward. And that was something that Patrick and I kind of started, and it just carried on. And it's just fun. All the different avenues you can go with it. Well, it's, you know, again, I, I use the word soulful. There's just something, like you said, there's an authenticity to it all, but it, it's, it's, it's clever without seem seeming at all contrived. I mean, it's what it was. And, and, yeah. you know, it's interesting how, you know, these, these, these outlets like the golfer's journal, which is really good work. I mean, it's like, you know, you yeah. sit down with like a hard copy of that and you're like, my God, this is like what magazines were 75 years ago. I mean, this and and like you need like the luck of something like that, something that has somebody mm -hmm. that has has touch and has sensibilities to to bring light to something like that. And all of a sudden, it's like holy shit! Like we've got ourselves, we got <laughs> ourselves something special here. Totally, yeah. It, it's amazing that the the people that that came along and helped um, helped. Uh, you know, you mentioned Andy fried egg. Yep. I mean, he, he was a huge help. No laying up. Um, I was opening my computer uh, and I've got a no laying up sticker on the computer. And I was thinking about how, I mean, Chris Solomon was playing in the AT&T program, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, these guys that, that they started as a text chain and now they have a, a media company that is so popular and it is sponsored by Titleist. And, and Andy is, is so successful and, um, you know, I, you asked about early people who who helped. I have to say something about Ron Witten. I mean, Ron yeah. was the uh, you know kind of the lion of of golf architecture and and golf architecture criticism for for a long time. I mean, a, a real huge presence in yes. the industry. And um, he came to Sweetens Cove three times b before it opened. I mean, in in his his support of the golf course and, and him saying nice things about it really put a lot of wind in our sails early on, you know, to, to know and understand that this thing, you know, did have legs. And, and then, you know, then it, once we got it open, I mean, you know, Andy and the, and the no laying up guys and golfers journal, I mean, that, that really, that culture around that kind of 
you know, we would have been dead in the water without social media and, and the support from from those those kind of groups. So, you know, Sweetens becomes what it is. And and there's a phrase that expectations are, are just a resentment in its germinating form. So now there's the expectation that whatever is next, it's got to be like special. It's got to be it's got to be unique. It's got to be great. And you you guys make the choice to go to the state of Nebraska, which which is becoming one of the toughest neighborhoods uh, to lay down a foundation when it comes to. I mean, it, I, I love going out there. There's something about that 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 state that is mind blowing to me. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. The scale of it. Now, I've not been to Landman, but but have friends who who have, and they said, I can't describe it. I can't describe it. Did you see it as soon as you saw it? Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I I think about Will Anderson and his dad Bryce daily, basically. I mean, they 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 feel like family at this point. But um, we we got an email from Will. We went out there in May of 2019, and Will showed us two different sites. One was the Old Dane, a, a nine hole course that they own, and we said, no, we, you know, this is a neat course. We don't, don't want to mess with this. And, and he, he we said, show us the other side. And he took us over and we looked at this really interesting side along the Missouri river that had some sand dunes, but he kind of kept referring to this wild site he had up in the hills. And we said, take us up top, take us up, up, up there. We want to see that. Uh, we were worried about some flooding down in the, in the lower one. And then we drove up to where the, number one tees are now and tad and i were just i mean our eyes were this big just like holy shit we're gonna like you would let us build a golf course here like seriously <laughs> um it's just like not like anything i'd ever seen it was um in will secretly we found out later that was where he really wanted the golf course um and he wanted to see and judge our reaction and and we were so blown away by the potential of it. He had had a few other people look at it and it just, they, they hadn't really connected in the way Pat and I did with Will. And um, we, we came out there and routed it and, and it, it was, it was the ultimate marriage for, for King Collins uh, getting to work with, with, with the Andersons. I mean, it was a, a family who, who trusted us. We formed a bond with them and, it was a piece of land that that Pat and I could could really do our thing on, and and we had a really incredibly talented group of people to help us do that. And um, it was just like Sweetens Cove, Landman was was the right project at the right time for for Rob and Tad, and 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 our team just blasted it out of the water. I mean, I, I couldn't be more happy with the place. Well, this year will be. You know, I, I know that there'll be an enormous level of pride that you'll both feel as, as you're going to unveil it literally in, in its fullest form to, to the general public. How will you, like, when you think about being there this year, how do you want to take it in? I mean, do you, I mean, are you, you going to go there to, to play golf? What, what are you, what, what are you going to do to appreciate what you guys have created there? Well, we have got a really, really busy schedule this spring, uh, which is going to make travel a little difficult. But I want to try to get out for the the Golfers Journal event on June 24th. I've got that circled on the calendar, so that would be my be my first trip. And then 
there's a, a couple days in August where the golf course is actually closed right before they do some maintenance. And I'm, I'm taking a, a, a group of friends out there um, where we'll kind of have, have the place to ourselves, um, w- which will be, be really magical. And uh, I had a chance to get out there. They were open for one month last year, but this is their first full season in, in, being out there and watching people play and, and being a part of that was just one of the most special and incredible experiences of my life. I mean, the energy around that place and I feel like I'm, I'm not talking bad about one of my kids. I, I love Sweeten's Cove <laughs> and I've told Will this and I said every single thing that, that Sweeten's Cove is right now I said, Landman is going to blow it out of the water times a hundred. It is. It, 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 Landman has it is sitting at the table holding a royal straight flush, and and people just haven't figured it out yet. And that it's it, it's it's going to be everything that Sweetens is, and 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 way beyond. Wow. I mean, it, it it's going to. It's just it's got it. It's got it's got character just oozing out of its pores. You can just feel it when you're there. And and the guys running the shop there do an amazing, amazing job. And Will's got a, got a great team and Landman's going to take the top off the defense for sure. Wow. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we couldn't be happier. The, the fact that you guys, that, that the golf course got a USGA qualifier and, and it's, you know, really not even in a diaper yet. I mean, it literally yeah. has just come yeah. out of the womb. And, yeah. and you guys, have, you, you got this four-ball qualifier, and that was, you know, our mutual friend Jonathan Ishii, who's not, not afraid yeah. to, to talk about a lot of stuff, uh, yeah. s- sometimes in areas he thinks he's more of an expert than he actually is. Um, but he was like, he's like, I can't explain it. I'm like, well, try. He's like, no, I, can, I really can't. I'm like, come yeah. on. He's like, no, no. I'm like, well, Sand Hills? And he's like, no, no, bigger scale. I'm like, bigger scale? That's yeah. like that's that's like the the end of civilization when you go yeah. out there and he said no I I just you just can't explain it. It's it, you can't explain it. You just you have to see it. I mean, what Ron Witten back to Ron, he came out um during construction and saw it and and he and he's seen everything, you know, and he he was he's like you can't you just can't believe this place. You can't believe that there's a golf course here on the on, on this land and these this, these heaving landforms. Not only is there a golf course there, but there's a, a walkable and, and playable one. And Ron said something that really stuck with me on his visit. He said, you know, the fact that there's a golf course here, it it brings people out into an environment that they otherwise wouldn't take a stroll in. Because those landforms are so severe in, in their up and down nature. It's not a place where you would just go take your dog for a walk, like a lot of great sites like Sand Hills. I mean, I love Sand Hills. It's one of my favorite courses in the country, but you could imagine kind of walking out amongst those dunes sure. and taking a stroll. Like you wouldn't do that on that land at Landman without the golf course being there. So it's almost like the golf course is giving you an opportunity to interact with an alien environment that you otherwise wouldn't be in. And the scale is so big. Um, the golf course we realized during construction needed to be big in order to fit that scale. And, and one example I give is uh, the fifth hole where you have these 
views for for miles and miles and miles and and you know the the backdrop of the fifth hole is 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 actually the 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 eight, 18th green and first tee in clubhouse but it's you know <laughs> a thousand yards away and um anyway a, a a regular size green, even a large green, let's say a 10,000 square foot green, the average green in America is 5,500, 6,000 square feet. If you put a 10,000 square foot green in that landscape, because it's so big, it would look unhittable. It would look like a postage stamp. So the green on the on the, on the the fifth hole at Landman is 25,000 square feet. And it's massive, but it fits that landscape. It's what needed to be in there. So that's the other thing that's weird about Landman is you see these features in the distance that you're going to play and they, when they're dwarfed amongst these landforms, they look the right size that they're supposed to be and look kind of normal. And then you get up to them and you're like, my God, this green, it goes on forever. I mean, it's 25,000 square feet. It's one of the biggest greens many people will ever see. And, and so you experience it up close and it, it there's a, something that goes on in the mind out there and, and, and perception of space that, that really is very tricky and, and and how you perceive things from far away and up close and, and that dynamic there there's something going on out there that's not like anything i've ever seen wow. and so that was a big design challenge and and i think we pulled it off and it, it it's it's a there's nothing like it there's just nothing like it well let me ask you give me a capsule on another project you guys are doing uh red feather uh, out yeah. there near Lubbock, uh, Texas. Uh, again, just I, I every picture I can see, I want to consume it. I want to look at it again. Scale looks looks you know grand in size. What is? Give me a sense of what that land is like. Well, I am. I was just out there. Um, Joe Hancock was putting the the 18th fairway together, and. Um, in the 18th hole and we're going to grasp the last three holes and every time i go out there it's like i just fall in love farther and farther i just feel myself getting <laughs> pulled in you know like just like landman you know the the, the farther we get into it the, the more in love you you get get with it um what the guys put together out there is again not like anything i've, I've ever seen um it was a, a flat cotton field uh, but it's it's not anymore. We had to, it's part of it as an engineering project. We needed to store 1.3, we had to move 1.3 million cubic yards of dirt in order to handle the volume of a 500 year storm in Lubbock. It doesn't rain a lot in Lubbock, but when it does, it generates a lot of water. So we've got, you know, 50, 60 foot deep canyons, you know, running through the golf course and these fairways that you know, like amoebas everywhere. And we, we mimic this, the, what, what, like kind of a rugged West Texas landscape with mesas and ravines and barrancas. Some, some are deep, some are, some are shallow. And, and the shaping on it is so unique and so interesting. And just the way the golf course sits down on top of this heaving landscape. Um, you know, we've worked with a lot of talented people on that project and, and every one of them, um it said you know i've just never quite seen anything like this and and i and i i think it's um you know there's a lot of famous courses that are coming online this year um new courses that are getting a ton of attention but but red feathers kind of sneaking in the back window with a ski mask on gonna surprise some people i mean it, it's it people it's uh 
there's just not anything like it. And I think it's really going to blow people's doors off when they finally see it on the ground. I, I'm thrilled with the way it's coming along. Uh, one project that, that didn't happen for you guys, but I have to ask you about it because it was uncovered um, in terms of what, what your idea was for the land that's going to be number 10 at Pinehurst. Mm -hmm. um, and the commission was was awarded to Tom Doak, who's a leader in the industry, and I'm sure it's going to be great. I played that golf course when it was the pit. Um, yeah. Um, my God, rugged as hell. Um, mm -hmm. And and you had put together, you guys had put together a concept called the spoils, where it's 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 literally the imagination coming to life of of playing something that is one ballpark but you can play it a lot of different ways. Just give, give everybody an idea of what that was. And I got to believe somehow, some way, that project is going to be implemented somewhere, right? I think so. Um, so uh, Tad and I took a look at, 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 at the pit, and um, we wanted to do something different for Pinehurst. I mean, they've got, you know, nine, nine ten golf courses that that operate in what i would call a you know a typical fashion you know tea time intervals and 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 pinehurst is one of the great experiences in american golf i mean i love i love going over there um but i've learned a lot from from my experience at sweetens cove and there is a thirst that is not yet quenched in in golf for for people who are want an experiential immersive experience that's not segmented and run like your normal golf experience and something that has more you know a lot of times more than one face i mean we have people at sweden's cove who play cross country so started noodling on this idea anyway long story short we came up with a concept that's basically five golf courses in one and um, 140 acres each day they could operate it as a different golf course um you know, routing A, B, C, red, purple, whatever. And each day you would get a completely different golf course than the one that was there the day before. And in my mind, as someone who's going to a resort, I thought, what an incredible opportunity because you would, you'd be playing the red routing and you go, God, look at that green on the purple routing. I've got to come back and I've got to come back and see that. And it, it, it sets the hook. And then the other thing too that you can do with the spoils concept is you could rent it out to a, a small group of people. That's something we do at, at Sweden's from time to time where you kind of have a, a free for all. I mean, you could have your own golf course for a day, say 12 or 16 of your best friends could rent that place and just play all over the place from here to there. So, um, you know, I, I'm very fond of the, the idea, um, but I wouldn't, 100% call it a, a dead issue with Pinehurst. I mean, they do have 995 yes, acres over there. Um, and they're going to hopefully build an amazing core Crenshaw course over there also. Um, you know, let's say the Doak's 250, the core Crenshaw's 250, 300. I mean, there, there's room to do it. Um, whether or not they want to, I don't know. But I'm, I'm holding out hope that, that there's still an opportunity there. Um, but, um, if there's not, you know, you know, maybe we get to do that somewhere else. Cause I think it's a, I think it's a really cool concept and would be a lot of fun to, to do that. You know, the whole idea of like cohabitating space, um, you're going to do that at Palmetto Bluff. Uh, and you guys yeah. are, you've begun construction uh, there, uh, and Bill and Ben are building a golf course there. And, and the guys at South street partners, 
you know, look, those guys, they've got a vision. Um, that's got to be, I mean, first of all, let me tell you this. I grew up on that land. My, my dad worked for the company wow. that owned that property. It was Union wow. Camp Corporation. You want to talk about, I mean, it was a seven-mile dirt road from a little chain-link fence all the way out to the May River, and it was, it was an 18-room hunting lodge. Um, wow. It was extraordinary. And I, look, going back there now, it is spectacular. But I'm telling you, if you could have seen it in the 80s, your mind would have been blown. Wow. Wow. I, is, I'll, someday I'll share some pictures I've got. I would love to. I would love to see those pictures. That, that's that's incredible. I didn't know that connection. I've um, we've loved uh, being down there at Palmetto Bluff, and I mean, uh, when, when the South Street guys came on, I immediately got in touch with them, and thank goodness they they entrusted us with that because that's going to be a really fun project. I was just out there. We started on February first, and got a reversible nine coming in. They've got a great Jack Nicholas course there. And then, you know, with the core Crenshaw coming in behind us, I mean, that's going to be a really fun and interesting three course setup that, that will they'll complement one another, but each one is going to be its own unique thing. And, and that'll be a really special thing for guests and, and members there. And, and we couldn't be, be more excited about getting to do that. Well, and you, you also uh, news that, that I saw, you know, within the last couple of days, Bounty Club, uh, yep. project you guys outside yep. of Nashville. Here's the thing, Rob, you know, look, you guys have a, you have this approach to things that is, that is very bold. Um, has anybody that you have entertained working with tried to mute that in any way? No, um, we haven't, uh, we haven't encountered that yet. Um, which is great. I, I think that you know, we kind of put ourselves out there in the universe and <laughs> you, you know, people are, certain people are attracted to wanting to, to work with us. And, and ultimately that ends up being a good fit. You know, we've had some jobs that we really wanted that we didn't get. And then you look back in hindsight and you're going, you know what, that's, that's a, it's a good thing. You know, some of the, some of the best ones are ones you don't get sometimes. It's hard to understand that in the moment, but when the ones we do get, um it, it's always been a, a good marriage and a and and we always want to be partners with our clients and so and have a good really strong bond and, and we that we've we've found that to be the case and, and haven't really been been shackled but i will say that um you know while we do have a uh, a reputation for the bold and the dramatic and a, and, and a flair and i, I always want to have a a flair and an and artistry to what we do you know, Tad and I talk a lot amongst ourselves that we want each one of our projects to be its own unique thing mm. and its own unique creation. We, we almost like a gift to the client. You know, we don't, as much as I love Landman, as much as I love Red Feather, as much as I love Sweetens Cove, and as much as I love Palmetto Bluff and the Bounty Club, I want each one to be its own really unique creation. And, and 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 each one has its own unique expression that, that's unique to the ground that it, it lays down upon. And the Bounty Club, for instance, is a opportunity for us to, you know, have a, a little bit lighter hand in, in some respects where, 
you know, our other projects have called for large amounts of earth moving. This one doesn't call for quite as much. And so it's it's a chance for us to spread our wings and show a different side of ourselves, but still have a that King Collins flair and, and, and drama, but expressed in a different way. So that's the fun artistic challenge that, that we try to identify on each project and, and execute for our clients. The, um, you know, whatever the industry is, I think it's important to know your competition. Um, you, you've got to be intrigued, curious, totally into finding out what everybody else is doing. Do you, do you try to make the time to see the work of others? Yeah, I mean, uh, if certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, of golf and, and golf architecture and, and construction. It's fun to, to see other things that are going on. And um, but we're it, it's hard to seek it out a lot of times because we're so busy right now. I, I can't just, you know. If I'm going somewhere, it's to be be on one of our projects, yeah. likely. But uh, that being said, you know, I, I had an opportunity to see the Lido uh, before, you know, part of the grassing. That was a lot of fun. Um, so it's always it's always interesting and fun to 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 get to to see that. And like, well, for instance, being in uh, in, in Lubbock, you know, we got to jump over and, and see the Rawls course, the, the Tom Doak course that that he did. He had a very similar uh, design problem that, that we had with respect to water storage. And it was mm -hmm. interesting to see how their team conquered that, you know, uh, on that site, uh, which was similar to ours. So, um, but two different courses, but it's always fun to see what others are doing and, and how they approach things for sure. You know, when you go to your website, you know, some sites, you know, there's some cursory stuff. You find out about some people's projects. The thing that I, I found when I was perusing around that the King Collins website is that you guys took particular care in explaining the, these tenants of your firm, the things that, that are, that are fundamental to what you want to achieve with each, with each project. And I, I just want to go through a few. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned team, like, like at the beginning, like the, the importance of team. People don't necessarily associate that with golf course design. They think about the lead name, they think about the historical figures and boy, what a mind Tillinghast and, and McKenzie and McDonald must have. Why, why is team so important to you guys? Well, number one, a, a, any great golf course um, is, a, is a collaborative effort. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not just one person. I mean, uh, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw will, will be very quick to tell you that. Um, every successful architect who's not uh, consumed with a, a massive ego will we'll <laughs> concede that there is a extremely large value on on the people who are helping you and, and we'll take good ideas from anywhere i mean if somebody's got a good idea ultimately it's our our job to filter that out and decide if it works or doesn't work but um it, it is truly a team effort and and when you have a great team that enjoys working together the the bar gets raised when it's a, a a situation where there's a lot of conflict on site, maybe the contractor doesn't get along with the architect and this and that, you know, the, the bar is going to get lowered. And ultimately, all that matters is how high you can raise the bar. And, and I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the bar gets higher and higher, the more cohesive uh, the, the, the team is and, and the more input they have. I mean, for instance, if you're if you're a shaper and you know that you have certain artistic liberties, like our shapers do with us, 
they're going to be more engaged and they're going to have more fun and they're going to see things that pop out of the dirt as they're as they're pushing and they, they might try a little something and you know 90 percent of the time it's going to work sometimes it might not and if it doesn't we'll make a little adjustment but having freedom keeps everyone on the team engaged and, and it raises the bar um and you just end up with a, with a much much better product you know having that team environment it's it's just essential the um you know some of the other ones are are options uh ground contours strategy fun i, I want you to expound though for a second on chaos i, I give me a give me a, a your definition of of the chaos theory that you guys write about um on your website basically what i mean by that is that there can be a lot of disparate elements floating around in, in a golf course, but having a common thread or string that kind of ties them together um, helps create a, a cohesive nature and in, in a, in a cohesive vision. But what I'm what I'm getting at is is allowing your mind, allowing your brain to go in certain directions, really opening up your mind, letting things go and kind of see what happens don't don't shut things down uh right off the bat let them happen and then and then you can react to it and then if you've got a handle on the overall vision which we do then you can place each one of these little elements <laughs> these little elements of chaos into a cohesive vision so that something that may on its own seem weird or out of place when it's placed across the tapestry of the whole golf course it makes sense and it creates an energy and a and a vision and a and a and a flair and an experiential side to golf that, that i think is important and we try to infuse that it's it's a a, a character it's it's a soul we want our, our golf courses to have a soul and a character and, and, th and those things contribute to that the um you guys you you write about these fundamental truisms um that 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 exist and i i just wonder is there a particular fundamental truism about the work of you know die mckenzie mcdonald rayner Tillinghast, is there is there something that is present, a thread through all of their great work, that that stands up, a truism? To me, it all all, all springs from the old course. I mean, ultimately, that that's the the well, the the truism that 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 that, that leads um, to to the the work of, of the, the the people you mentioned, and they're they're taking lessons of things about the game ab about architecture from that amazing place and, and applying them on wildly disparate sites all, all over the world but but there's little flashes of the brilliance of the old course you know at teeth of the dog and there's <laughs> or it uh you know a, a tilling ass in new york or uh, whatever i mean it, it, there's th those are things that, that uh those elements that, that are that are placed into it and that i think that's going back to our earlier part of our conversation um you know everything in some way or another is a little bit of an ode to the the old course and, and taking those lessons and, and and applying them to different sites yeah i the first time i asked gil hans the question i said if if i put you on the first tee anywhere you're not hitting a golf shot you're just walking 
um, in terms of the educational value of the walk to the application of your trade. And without hesitation, he said the old course, it is, it is, it is, it is the incubator where, where thought um, for him has always started. And to a large degree, you just kind of, you kind of echoed that thought. Let, let me get you out of here with these five quick questions to wrap it up. Um, because you guys, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys have an appreciation for, for the logoing process and all the things you have done. What, what's your favorite logo in golf? that has nothing to do with you guys, a non-associated logo that is your favorite for whatever reason. Wow. Favorite logo in golf. Um, wow. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I, uh, it's funny. I, I don't know why this just popped into my mind, but the burning tree logo is an awfully good one. Yes. <laughs> that's a really good one. Yeah, that maybe maybe burning tree. Yeah, I you know I I you know Rob, I think that the logo is so important, um, and what and, and particularly for for new places, I you know the, the conversation starter, uh, something that you know whether it is the use of letters, or 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 an image or something associated with the land in some way. Now, burning tree is great. I for me, I always get back to Marion. There's something. Marion's a, a great a, one. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that I just I look at that and I go, God, that I mean, you could slap that logo on anything and you'd wear it, drink out of it, you yeah. know, sleep in it, um, you name it. Well, the great thing about the Marion logo too is is that it's very much of Marion. There's no mistaking it. And and it's funny you bring that up because um, when we first started messing around with logos at Sweetens, we created one that was a a logo of one of the bunkers on the first hole, and I I told the guy. Uh, ben Hollerback, when we were making, I said, you know, think about the Marion logo in the sense that when you see it, you immediately know it's Marion. There's no other place in the world that it can be. I want to have a logo for Sweetens that when you see it, it, it can't be anywhere else. And so this bunker with the boards, um, we don't, you know, it, and there's just nothing, you know, that that's Sweetens. And so that was something I was thinking about how it is immediately just makes you think of, of, of that place. Yeah, no doubt. All right. G give me in your mind, in your life, what's the best view you've ever seen on a golf course? doesn't have to be from the, from the tee to the green. It could be at any angle, anywhere. What's the best there, view you've ever experienced? That's funny. I was watching uh, Keith Mitchell, uh, who's one of our, our partners at Sweet and Scove and a, and a friend. I'm pulling, pulling for him like crazy this morning. Um, watching him hit that second shot on number six yesterday at Pebble. Mm. And uh, that landscape coming down number six is so bold and, and so unbelievable. And, and it doesn't show how steep that rise is from yeah. the first part of the fairway to the second until you're there. Um, God, what a, it just, you can't even believe that there's a golf course there. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it is amazing. And you're just, when you're walking down that, I mean, there's an energy to it and it's feel and it's just like, God, I can't believe, I mean, you just, it's a lucky to be alive moment walking down the sixth fairway. Yeah. I, I tell you for me, and I've, I've had the experience a handful of times. I, I always make a point and it was by accident. The first time walking off the 18th green at Cypress, which is down the street from the place you're talking about. When you look back over to 16 green, mm -hmm. it's the most, like, first of all, you just had one of the great experiences of your life. And yeah. for me, it was like this, this last 
this last snapshot of looking back about what you just walked through and across and over like 30 minutes before, that one always stands out for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll say in my career, though, to, if I'm going to be as selfish, I would say number 12T at Landman is, is, is up there with any view I've ever seen. All right, give me, what is the most provocative hole you've ever played? Uh, uh, I, I think it's number, uh, 13 at Tobacco Road. Mm. There's a, there's a par five that goes out and then it turns hard right. And then it goes up to the, up to this green that's benched in these dunes. And there's, there's so much risk reward and so much drama and flair. I mean, that's a golf course that really changed the way I thought about things and, 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 and the, the possibilities. I mean, Mike Strance's vision yep. and, and talent. And um, I realized very quickly how much rules don't really apply in golf. You, you, so much of what we do in architecture is self-imposed. And that that is one of them. I think it's 13. Uh, but anyway, that's one of the most provocative holes I've ever seen. I mean, God, what a. What a vision. <laughs> All right. Give me uh, the best grill room item that every club should master and have as an offering, whatever it might be. Maybe it's something you've had somewhere, but but something that you think is the essential grill room item that should be not just on the menu, it should be the best item on the menu. <laughs> I'll go back to my childhood and uh... – at Signal Mountain, they had a a, a grilled bacon and, and cheese sandwich. Oof. It's simple, Strong. but when it's done well and you've got <laughs> really good bread and you've got good cheese and crispy bacon, oh, my God, that's good. Not healthy, <laughs> but, but damn good. All right, uh, last one. What do you think would be the best golf course in America if you played it backwards? The best golf course in America if you played it backwards. Wow. I wonder if you could play national backwards. I, that's that's the one I was thinking. I think you could. I think you could. You definitely could. Uh, I've never thought about that. I think you'd have to say national. You could definitely play national backwards, 1870. I mean, golly, that would, <laughs> that would be interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're playing uh, down, you would essentially be playing yeah. downhill on one, which is 18, back up the hill yeah. on 17. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you, I mean, you the, do it. yeah, no, you could absolutely do it. Listen, I, I appreciate you taking all the time that you did this morning to, to share your thoughts. I've, I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time. I'm really excited for you guys. I mean, you are, so you, much. Are, you, you guys are I can't wait to to experience some of the stuff you've done, and I'm I'm really excited for the projects you guys are engaged in now, uh, and and look for uh, the, the opportunity to shake your hand and and have a conversation oh, hey, beyond this way. Really, yeah, appreciate you having us on. Let's uh, let's round up Ishi and the gang and go go play some golf. We will do so, Rob. Thanks so much, buddy. Well, I really appreciate Rob Collins taking the time. You know, you look at where like that that big move into, you know, a, a really valuable space in any industry occurs. And obviously Sweetens Sweetens Cove is, as we discussed, it's it's like a culture. 
and it, and it is something that has allowed them to now branch into areas and they're working with, with properties and, and partners that are top of class. It's going to be a very, very cool ride for them over the next 10 years. Well, I thank him, but I thank you all most importantly for taking the time to listen and watch this Five Clubs conversation. We'll see you next time.